everybody. Welcome to Two Strike Noise, your weekly baseball history podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, as usual, Jeff. Joining me from the Seattle-Tacoma Greater Regional Studio is Mark A. Johnson. Mark, welcome back. Oh, my goodness, Jeff. It's been a long week. Uh, it's great to hear your voice and to know that uh, our listeners are out there paying attention as well. So, wow, we've got a lot of stuff to talk about. Uh, I've got a fun topic I want to talk about today. Traditions that we all take part in when we go to a baseball game and where they actually came from. But we've got a lot of things to talk about here in our initial batting practice segment, as we usually do. So let's get right into it. Now, first of all, Mark, you were a part of history this last week. The Mariners are at home. You've been working some games. Yes. Uh, You were a part of history on Friday night. When a Mr. Seth Beer came to the plate against the Mariners, the uh, Diamondbacks, and in his very first plate appearance as a big leaguer, Seth Beer went yard. Seth Beer hits a fly ball. Deep right field. It's gone. Seth Beer a home run in his first big league at bat. Welcome to the major league, Seth Beer. How about that? Were you aware of this? I, I was definitely aware of this. I I put it in the computer and watched the uh, number pop up on the screen. Yeah. Well, I so okay. We've also determined that this seems to happen every other game in the big leagues now. This right, is not right. such a big deal. But Seth Beer was the seventh Diamondback ever to accomplish this feat. Now, Seth Beer. I feel like a couple of teams might have missed out on Seth Beer, like the Brewers and maybe the Cardinals. Hmm. I feel like maybe Seth should have been on their radar. Now, Beer was a first overall pick by the Astros. As he should have been. Yeah, I think there should have been. They, I guess you can't trade draft picks in the major leagues like you can in other sports. There should have been some back, some backroom deals to make sure that somebody else drafted Mr. Beer. I was thinking of the podcast as soon as he hit it, how we've been talking about first at bat home runs, first pitch home runs, stuff like that. So I thought, hey, there's something to talk about. Uh, something really hilarious happened last week with the Giants and Brandon Belt. So, you know, I think it's just a week or two ago we talked about, uh, remember when uh, when Jason Veritek used to wear the C on his jersey with the Red Sox? Yes. Yes. And uh, a couple of teams, I think Keith Hernandez wore it for the Mets back in the in the 80s i think they wore a c but very few teams actually i think even have a captain anymore let alone wear a c jeter never wore a c that i was aware of for the yankees i don't i don't think you would wear i don't think so no (laughs) so brandon belt has proclaimed himself the captain of the san francisco giants and i think he was doing a lot of this tongue-in-cheek i hope so because some of the comments that he made were hilarious if it is a joke but if he's talking about how alpha he is and he's being serious, then I'm not laughing so much. But he was apparently on a flight with the team to Chicago to play the Cubs and was joking about being the captain and so forth. And so Evan Longoria took some electrician's tape and made us a really rough C and put it on his jersey for that <laughs> night. And he didn't think Belt was going to wear it, but he did. He wore it, and during the game, this C is coming off because it's just a couple of pieces of electrician's tape. But Belt had a big game. He had a home run. Uh, You know, the Giants are really good right now anyway, but he had another really good game. And apparently a lot of of I'm the captain now memes uh, floating around social uh, media regarding this. Apparently MLB got wind of it as they 
of course, would and did not care for it. And we will not be seeing that again. <laughs> because That's you can't the number fun. one rule of Major League Baseball. Absolutely, positively, no having fun. No. It wasn't covering up the Nike logo. It wasn't taken away from any sponsor. But, yeah, you cannot do that. How dare you? Yeah, that's funny. You know, when I was working in the clubhouse, I once took some white tape and I taped over the two Bat Boys that we had. And it said Bat Boy on the back of their uniform. And I used tape and I changed one to Fat Boy and one to Rat Boy. And neither <laughs> of them noticed. <laughs> and they were, we had Fat Boy and Rat Boy running around. It was pretty funny. I'm sure the team loved that, the players. Oh, they thought it was hysterical. Both teams. <laughs> <laughs> but then you had to be on the look. You had to watch out for your back because somebody was going to yeah. get you back for that. That can't go yeah, unanswered. Yeah. Well, the, the good thing was is kind of pecking order. And so for a bad boy to get back at me, it would kind of have been a faux pas. Ah, seniority. Yeah. Nice. You were untouchable. They couldn't do it. You know, and the players didn't want to mess with you either because you're there with all their stuff all night. Some could happen. I have stories like that, but we are not going to tell them on this podcast. All right. Well, it is time for the, uh, the an- not the annual, the weekly Lars Newt Bar update. New. So we are recording this show on Saturday the 11th. So this is up through Friday night. Uh, Lars has not had a good week again. Remember last <laughs> week he went O for the week. Well, now he's O for two weeks. Oof. Yeah, he went 0 for 10 in the last uh, last week with four strikeouts since our last show. He has fallen below the newt bar. That's not that's not what we were hoping for. No, his his average now sits at a Mario Mendoza like 222 through Friday. Again, I'm just hoping that he accumulates a small enough number of at bats in the next couple of weeks to remain eligible for Rookie of the Year next season. You know when he's really going to be able to have his feet underneath him. And, and put in a, a good show for that rookie of the year. Uh, all right. It's so, so fun to talk about that name. It's great. It really <laughs> is a fun name to say. Uh, let's see. This show is debuting on September 14th. So let's take a look at some of the uh, guys that have made their debuts on this day. First of all, let's go all the way back to 1907. And this is one of the, I think, one of the best Hall of Famers that there ever was. He was he was also the first best center fielder of all time. I am speaking of Tris Speaker, who made his debut today in 1907. Do you think he made he made his debut after the uh, rosters expanded in 1907? I think he was a September I'm sure. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> rosters were like 13 at that point, <laughs> and they expanded to <laughs> to 15. I don't know. But uh, Tris Speaker, like I said, he was kind of qual- he was kind of called the first best center fielder in Major League history. The glove he wore was actually referred to as the place where triples go to die. Very nice. nice. I like that. He holds the career mark still in records for an outfielder for assists, double plays, and unassisted triple plays by an outfielder. There's a record for that. There's more than one. He holds like it. somebody had more than one. Yeah, he holds it. I couldn't find what it was, but I'm gonna have to Must take. I'm gonna have to take <laughs> the uh, Saber articles, uh, which is a good thing to take. Uh, Saber does a good job. So, a speaker could run fast enough that he would play a deep second base as the center fielder, <laughs> essentially wow. giving the team a fifth infielder. But he, you know, he was still fast enough, and of course, 
it's not like the game today. So people weren't hitting these 400 foot shots to center field. So he could still right. get back there though and and make these uh, these catches in center field. He was part of the million dollar outfield with Duffy Ooh. Lewis and Harry Hooper. Oh, Duffy Lewis, that prankster. I did a little bit of uh, digging here, and they were called the million dollar outfield despite the fact they each made less than ten thousand dollars. <laughs> so okay, you might want to check the math on that nickname. They were also called the Golden Outfield as well. Tris was not without controversy during the 1910 season. The Red Sox team that he was on was embroiled in a religious rivalry. Oh, left fielder Duffy Lewis, your, your prankster, was the leader of the Catholic faction, <laughs> while speaker and pitcher Smokey Joe Wood were leaders of the Protestant faction. I had no idea this even went on. I man. know there's faction, <laughs> religious factions in the clubhouse. Uh, speaker and Lewis. In particular, they didn't like each other very much anyway. You know, they were members of the golden outfield or the million-dollar outfield, but they didn't get along particularly well. Well, one day in 1913, Speaker annoyed Lewis by repeatedly knocking his cap off during batting practice. <laughs> Lewis said, do that again, and I will kill you. Well, Speaker did it again. <laughs> Lewis took a baseball bat to Speaker's shins. And Speaker had to be helped off the field. So. <laughs> you went for the shins? Yeah, I went for the shins. Let's go for the least protected thing we can possibly find and uh, and, and injure my fellow outfielder. Yeah, That's I'm sorry you can go for the call. head. Just for the mouth, even. Just shut up. Can't talk if your <laughs> jaw's broken. That makes sense. Uh, speaker, though, wow, what? incredible numbers he was uh, mvp in 1912 led the league in hits a couple of times led the league in doubles many times and holds the all-time record still with 792 career doubles wow also led the league in home runs one year in 1916 he led the league in just about everything and ended up with a 186 ops plus just an incredible these these career numbers, a 345 batting average, a 428 career on base percentage over 22 years, and a 500 slugging percentage for a 928 career OPS. Yeah, I would say that's pretty good. He had speed too, 436 career stolen bases. He was caught 157 times. There are some, he was... <laughs> He, he was in the mid to late 20s in caught stealing several times in his career. But get this, also came in in a ball game and pitched. Of course he did. <laughs> in 1914, he got into a ball game where they were losing 11 to 4. He pitched an inning, gave up two hits, one run, and uh, didn't strike out anybody. But there's uh, one of the few position players in the Hall of Fame that got a turn on the mound. Tris Speaker also making their debut today back in 1986, Benito Santiago. Oh, man, one of the great catchers I've ever seen. Yeah, a very stylish catcher, too. Yes, that, too. Always had the, the, the wraparound sunglasses. He was throwing from his knees long before any of uh, before any of the guys are today. But he had a hose. I mean, he would be. Oh, my gosh. Just like Tony Pena, he could be on his butt. And he could still yep. throw you out at second. And, and Howard oh, Johnson man. even said, "I'm." he got thrown out a couple of times by, by Benito. And Howard Johnson is quoted as saying, I am just not going to run on him anymore. Probably smart. Uh, Benito Santiago, he could hit, he could throw, he could call a game. Just one of the great catchers. 
Yeah, he's also the only catcher to ever wear a jersey number starting with a zero. That's right. I remember that. <laughs> number zero, I think he's zero nine. Right? Zero nine. You know why he wanted zero nine? Why? He had never had a double digit number and still wanted to be nine. <laughs> <laughs> well, he could have been 99. I mean, that's... <laughs> oh, he, he didn't want that. He wanted to be 09. He wanted a double-digit number. All right. Well, also for Benito, April 12th, 1993, he hit the first home run in the history of the Florida Marlins franchise. Also making their debut today in 1991 was Kenny Lofton, one of my favorites. Guy mold of Ricky Henderson. Absolutely. Lofton famously uh, played basketball at the University of Arizona, where he also he sure did. obviously played baseball there. Lofton set a record that might not be broken for quite some time, if ever. He broke Ricky Henderson's record of 33 career postseason stolen bases during the 2007 League Championship Series. He ended up with uh, 34, so he broke it and then stopped. Uh, but I'm thinking this might be one of those records that doesn't get broken. Yeah, nobody really is going to run that much in the postseason, at least at this point. Yeah, I mean, nobody really runs that much. Plus, you got to get in the postseason enough <laughs> to, to run that much. Right. To, I mean, to have that many just opportunities, good luck. Yeah. Uh, a couple of other names, not going to talk about them because I've never heard of them, but I just wanted to mention that uh, other players that debuted in various years today, Topsy Hartzell, Shorty D, and Skinny Graham. The uh, adjective, the all adjective uh, names. Yeah, they're no Babe Hamburger, but there were there were enough no, of them. No. <laughs> um, I, so I mentioned that during the offseason, we're going to start a Remember a Game segment. And we did one last week, and I was going to hold off until uh, until we get to the uh, to the offseason. But there is a game that just so happened to happen on September 14th, back in 1986. Now, we've talked about the Ryan Sandberg game. Very famous. We did a whole episode on it. Well, have you ever heard of the Bob Brenly game? I don't think I have. Yeah. So September 14th, 1986, Atlanta is at San Francisco. So this is at Candlestick. And Bob Brenly, who was usually a catcher, is at third base for the Giants because of injuries. Well, he played there before, in fact, 50 times before, but he's clearly not a natural third baseman. The four errors he committed that day, all in one inning, mind you, proved it. Hold on. Four errors in one inning. Four errors in one inning, and I've got them right here. Next pitch. Friendly off his glove. Horner's going to reach. That should be an error. Sunday afternoon, the fans here. So, my gosh. <laughs> all in the same inning, two on the same play. Uh, yes. Three of them were bobbles. One of them he bobbled and then threw the ball home and airmailed it. So, <laughs> just, and he, after that final one, that was Dale Murphy at the plate, and he bobbled it, and he picked it up, and then he just kicked the dirt, and he was just so frustrated. Oh, that's that's rough, but. that That's a tough inning, man. <laughs> that is a very tough inning. But Brenly atoned for his fielding miscues by hitting a fifth inning home run. 
Then he hit a two-out, two-run single in the seventh inning to tie the ball game. And finally, in the bottom of the ninth inning, ball game tied up with two outs and Paul Ossenmacher on the mound for Atlanta. He uh, redeemed himself by doing this. Now the payoff. Oh, it's gone. Bob Grenley is going to win the ball game. How do you like that? Boy, you talk about a schizophrenic day. Bob Grenley made four errors in one inning. Home run number 14, and the Giants win it 7-6. to six. So there <laughs> you go. He, he made up for it, and he gets the walk-off home run. That's, that's absolutely amazing. I wonder how you feel about a game like that. I mean, your errors. Yeah, is it a wash? You just walk away going, ah, I mean, I did some good things. I did some bad things. I'm glad we won. Do you name him player of the game? I don't know. I, I don't know. Uh, yeah, wait, great comeback. Of course, you gave them their runs, but you know. So I wanted to look at this game, looking at the box score. Uh, the leadoff batter for the Giants, who went three for four with a walk, doing leadoff batter stuff, none other than William Neuschler Clark. Oh, really? Will Clark was hitting leadoff? Will Clark hit uh, hit leadoff and did a darn good job, too. <laughs> Boy, they were uh, they were nursing some injuries if, if Will Clark's leading off. Yeah, so Brenly started at third. He eventually moved back to catcher during the game, replacing Bob Melvin, who started the game behind the plate. But one of those days, you know, and it didn't it's not like his airs blew up the bullpen. Mike Lacoste started the game. He went seven and then Scott Gerelts came in and got the win by pitching the last two. So normally you would think that, you know, you're just forcing that starting pitcher to throw like 500 pitches because of all those airs. But no, didn't didn't really hurt him. I guess you would just say, hey, Bob, you know, great game. Don't ever do it that way again. And uh, let's uh, we'll see you tomorrow. Yeah. So there you go. There is uh, Remember a Game Part 2. But that one I had to do because it happened today back in 1986. All right. Let's get on to our trivia question. I I asked this of uh, our listeners last week. What is the youngest pitcher-catcher battery in Major League history? And it doesn't involve Joe Nooks Hall. There is no Joe Nuxhall involved. Nuxhall involved. Um, we got a couple of uh, a couple of well, we got a, we got a lot of responses, but not a lot of correct responses. We had a lot of people that gave us multiple answers, uh, which is fine because some of them were correct. Hmm. But uh, do you have any? Um, I'm going to go out on a limb and say. No, I have no idea. All right. Well, uh, I do want to, let's see. Uh, Brian Krause was one of those guys that got us one of the correct answers, uh, along with some other ones. The answer is 18-year-old Milt Pappas was on hmm. the mound, and 18-year-old catcher Frank Zuppo was behind the plate. Wow. So 36 years combined between them. Now, Milt Pappas came in in uh, in relief and actually pitched the final four innings of the ball game gave up three hits no earned runs this was the uh, kansas city athletics versus the baltimore orioles on the mound for the athletics and getting the win was uh former guest ralph terry hey how about that yeah very nice usn legend yeah yeah two strike noise legend ray moore started for the orioles dizzy trout came in in relief, 
didn't retire a batter, gave up four hits and three runs. Uh, and then Bill White came in, and then Milt Pappas cleaned it up as an 18-year-old with his 18-year-old battery mate. So Nice. All right. So that one was probably the hardest question I've asked in a long time, uh, judging by the lack of correct responses. So I'm going to go a little bit easier on everybody this week. Who holds the record for the longest on-base streak? Ooh, I like that. So not not a uh, not a, a hit streak, just an on-base streak. Now I think this one should be a lot easier than than some of the other ones. So good luck to everybody. Let us know. So Jeff, I happened to look at uh, you were talking about the you know the two eighteen-year-olds uh, battery, and uh, I took a real quick look in nineteen ninety. If Bob Boone and Nolan Ryan had been on the same team, the battery age would have been eighty-five. <laughs> Wow. I, you know what we got to do? We need to go back and look and see uh, when Satchel Paige, you know, who his catchers were. Let's, I think we need to go back. Maybe, look, can we change the trivia question to, uh, to or, or should our next trivia question be, who is the oldest battery? Right? Yeah. Well, uh-huh. I mean, Satchel's in his 90s, so all you need is a 10-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's interesting. All right. And uh, with that, let us have the grounds crew come out and clean up stuff. And we're going to get ready to go into the main segment of the show. So this week, Mark, I thought we would take a look at some of the things that happen in a ballpark that we're just so used to. We probably don't think about it a whole lot. Just some of these traditions. And I wanted to look at kind of where they started and, and who started them. So let's start out with the thing that we all are uh, kind of expected to do at this point, <laughs> and that is stand for the national anthem before the game starts. So the Star Spangled Banner was made the national anthem by a congressional resolution on March 3rd, 1931. The first time that it was ever recorded that it was sung or played at a baseball game was May 15th, 1862. Whoa. So whoa. <laughs> 70 years before it became the national anthem, somebody played the Star Spangled Banner at the Union Grounds in Brooklyn, New York. Wow. Don't know why they did, but they did. Let's move forward a little bit. September 5th, 1918 at Comiskey Park, the Boston Red Sox and the Chicago Cubs were playing the opening game of the World Series, which uh, started a little bit earlier in the beginning of September due to World War I. During the seventh inning stretch, a military band played the Star Spangled Banner. Fred Thomas was in the crowd. Now he was in the Navy, he was on leave, and he was in the stands, and he snapped to attention and saluted while they played this. From then on, the song started to be played at every World Series game, every season opener, and whenever a band was present to play it. The custom of playing it before every game began during World War II, when the installation of public address systems made it more practical to be able to play a recording versus having to have a band there to play it whenever they wanted to do it. So right. that is kind of why we, we do the national anthem. of uh, The Frederick Keys of the Carolina League, they're actually named after Francis Scott Key. Oh, my. I didn't know that. So let's talk about another song. 1908, two songwriters who had never attended a baseball game. They were named Jack Norworth and Albert Van Tilzer penned Take Me Out to the Ball Game. It was an instant commercial hit. 
It is actually about a woman who's begging her boyfriend to take her to a baseball game. So remember, I mean, we're, we're recording this on the 20th anniversary of 9-11. Remember after 9-11, uh, Take Me Out to the Ballpark was substituted for God Bless America in a lot of places. And it's still sung on Sunday games a lot of the time in many, many stadiums. But Take Me Out to the Ballpark is still sung everywhere. And then what, what's kind of happened is a lot of stadiums have their own song that they play after the yes. seventh inning stretch that everybody knows. Like the Royals play center field by John Fogarty. Makes sense. Yeah. What are the Mariners? They The Mariners play Louie Louie, don't they? Louie, yep. Yeah. And uh, is it the Astros that play um, deep, in, deep the in the heart of Texas? Texas? Yeah, something like that. So, yeah, it's, it's one of those things where, and I think the Giants play, uh, the Giants, I think, alter between two journey songs. I think if they are behind, they play Don't Stop Believing. And then if they're ahead, they play another song by Journey. But nice. I, I know the lead singer of Journey. I'm not sure if he's from the Bay Area, but he's a, he's a big Giants fan. Uh, it's, it's still played, obviously, and I still get the words wrong every now and then. I remember once uh, having a, a, an argument about whether it was, I don't care if I ever get back or I don't care if I never get back. I think whoever it was that was arguing actually called the Hall of Fame and had them look at the original. <laughs> Who has the juice to call the Hall of Fame and get an answer? Like that? Well, I can tell you, but I don't want to use his name. I, I'm, um, I'm guessing it's somebody that I know also that works at the Mariners. Well, somebody who manages people we know uh, at the Mariners, yeah, yes. Yeah, um, and the argument was simply, is it, I don't care if I ever get back or I don't care if I never get back. And he was vehement that he had called the Hall of Fame and it was ever, not never. I always thought it was ever as well. I don't care if I yes. ever get back. I always thought that too. So it was good to be right for once. I mean, if you're married, you don't get to be right that often. Yeah. So take them where you can get it. Uh, right. Let's talk about mascots. I love mascots. You know me. I mean, if there is somebody oh, in a costume, bring them to me because I love it. I'm not there to watch yes. this. Well, the first <laughs> mascots actually took place in the 19th century, where people who were thought to be literal good luck charms were paraded around a stadium. Now, often these people were men or boys with physical disabilities who wore uniforms like the players. So, okay. uh, it's, yeah, I can't really get on board with that, but that's what happened. Uh, in the early 1900s, the Detroit Tigers and the Chicago Cubs had live animal mascots. Now, Sweet. I, no word on what animals they actually brought in. So <laughs> they could have actually brought in a tiger or a bear cub. We don't know. The Cubs very well could have brought in a, a billy goat, which maybe they should have done a long time earlier. Uh, and, that's right. You know, they could have won a World Series a little bit. The first mascot is kind of what we think of mascots today was actually Mr. Met who really? is, of course, the baseball-headed cartoon character right. that sprung from the Mets' 1963 yearbook and was brought to life the next year in 64 and still represents the team today. Wow. Ten years after Mr. Met, in 1974, probably the most famous mascot of all time, the San Diego Chicken, debuted at, get this, the San Diego Zoo. Not a Padres game. <laughs> really? Yeah. So I didn't know that. The chicken was originally known as the KGB chicken. Oh. And it was a radio stunt. A San Diego State University student, Ted Giannolis, 
agreed to wear the suit for $2 an hour. This is starving college wow. student. He's like, yeah, I'll degrade myself. Sure. Two bucks, I'm in. Now, Ted was a baseball fan, and he thought, hey, maybe I could get into Padres games for free if I wore the, the chicken suit for KGB. So the station talked to the Padres. The Padres are like, let's do it. So he goes in there, and uh, eventually he performed at every Padres home game from middle of 1974 season through 1980. Wow. Now, coincidentally, the very first game that uh, the chicken appeared at the Padres game is that infamous game when the Padres owner, Ray Kroc, commandeered the PA and berated his team for its poor play during the game. Oh, man. <laughs> so Ted initially thought that Kroc was yelling at him and quickly headed to the exit when the owner started yelling at his team over the loudspeakers. <laughs> My favorite chicken memory is from the show The Baseball Bunch with Johnny Bench. We've uh, we've talked about that. Well, I mean, Ted Giannolis was was an athlete because he would go out there and field grounders. He'd take BP oh. in the outfit and he would get it done like he wasn't. He would. Yeah. I mean, and he was always moving too. dude was in great shape. Ted Giannolis ended up being quite an entertaining person. You can't even use words and you can entertain an entire stadium. That's pretty impressive. He was the initial uh, person inaugurated into the mascot hall of fame to nobody's surprise uh he's still around too he's oh yeah he shows up once in a while yeah he's uh he's he's still kicking around there he now goes by the famous chicken because of course money got involved and everybody wanted their cut if you take a look at the pictures of the actual original kgb chicken it looks pretty janky uh, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> you know, sometimes you'll see a picture of like a homemade costume that's supposed to be somebody like Ronald McDonald or something. But instead, they look like some kind of like right. meth induced nightmare that <laughs> it's not good. I had that exact thing. Yes. Yeah. Well, that's what the KGB chicken looked like. So uh, there you go. You know, he, he actually uh, I don't know if he still does, but he used to tour minor league parks and put on a show. I, I got to see him three or four times and it was, it was always, always hysterical. I'm not sure I ever saw him in a major league game. It was always, you know, cause I lived in minor league cities growing up. Right. Well, and he could pack a house too. Yeah. They would be advertising oh, the yeah. chickens coming for weeks. Yeah. Yeah. That was uh, he he was very much in demand. Let's see. Enter the Philly fanatic in 1978. Oh, yeah. The fanatics behavior uh, was originally they they told the guy in there to to model his behavior after Daffy Duck. <laughs> they said be frenetic, crazy, jump around, and uh, eventually you know lay a big fat kiss on somebody, which he did with that tongue <laughs> sticking out. That's great. Uh, the late Tommy Lasorda, huge fan of the fanatic, loved him. Oh yes. <laughs> <laughs> Those two had a rivalry. I still can't really I think it was all for show. Uh, Tommy Lasorda was a bit of a showman. But, uh, yeah, they had a they had a rivalry going on. The Fanatic of course was in the news at the start of this season because it too was the subject of a lawsuit by the original creators claiming that they should still be making money off it. Well, the Phillies had uh, made some alterations to the costume to Kind of get their own cut of, of that that mad Philly scrizz, uh, and it worked. They went all the way to went all the way to the courts, and uh, they said that the, it was it was different enough that it was no longer the original Philly fanatic. Uh, let's see. There are several very famous traditions that came from fans as well. 
we talked quite a while ago about Nuff said McCready in Boston, how he and a group of super fans for the Red Sox in the early 1900s would go to games. They would even travel to away games and took instruments to play live music as batters went to the plate, the first version of walk-up music for batters. There is another one that I wanted to discuss, though. We have the bleacher bums at Wrigley Field to thank for, and that oh. is throwing back home run balls from the opposition. Oh, nice. Sure. So this goes back to 1970, and Atlanta was in town. And at that time, when the Hammers were there, so was Hammerin' Henry Aaron, who the team, at least on this podcast, is now named for. And no surprise, he hit a home run into the bleachers during the, uh, during a series there. And a upset Cubs fan, Ron Grozel, Grozel, I, I apologize, Ron, how to pronounce your last name, but he caught the home run and he was so upset about it, he immediately threw the ball back onto the field. <laughs> well, this caught on and often whoever would throw the ball back would be compensated by money as nearby fans would pass around an empty beer cup and collect money. Also, a uh, reliever would maybe throw an autographed baseball up to whoever caught it and threw it back to encourage the act. Now, of course, <laughs> many fans now have wisened to this and come with a... <laughs> they come with another ball already in hand. So a they dummy can, ball. Yeah, because so, they <laughs> will be harassed if you do not throw a ball back. Right. So you got to sneak it. Yeah. Act like you shove it in your pocket, pull out the other one, yep, you chuck gotta, it back out on the field. You gotta be, you gotta be slick about it. Here was a great story I found about this. So Greg Maddox, of course, came up with the Cubs, and then uh, famously, when he became a free agent, he went to Atlanta. Well, Mad Dog's first visit back to Wrigley Field after signing with Atlanta, he hit a foul ball into the stands, where it was promptly thrown back onto the field. <laughs> Which that is great. Even a foul ball. Yeah, that is great. I really enjoyed that. All right, so most teams have a special song that they'll play after a win. Probably yes. the most recognizable of this being at Yankee Stadium. When the Yankees post a W, they play New York, New York by Frank Sinatra. Right. Well, this, is, this came directly from the top. And by that, I mean the boss, George Steinbrenner. He loved that song. But did you know in the 90s at the old Yankee Stadium, when they would lose, they would still play New York, New York, but they would play a version sung by Liza Minnelli. So <laughs> if they won, it was old Blue Eyes, and if they lost, it was Liza Minnelli. Now, I could not confirm this, but I saw several stories that Liza Minnelli actually sued the Yankees for only playing her version after losses and accused them of sexism. Now, oh my gosh. I'm not sure if there was actually a lawsuit or if it was ever settled, but the Yankees now just play the Sinatra version regardless of the outcome. They're leaving Liza out of it. Um, so as an A's fan, Cool in the Gang's celebration has been a staple since the very first A's game I ever went to back in, oh, the, man. in the early 80s. That seems to be like the go-to. Yeah, that's that is. I mean, th that's just as an A's fan, you know that if that if they win, you're going to hear that. Well, a couple of years back, the team tried out a new song by a local band, and it was just universally hated. Like it wasn't <laughs> just like, oh, I don't like it as much. It was hated. Well, they quickly went back to celebration, and it continues to make fans happy as they walk to the BART station following a win. Now, I found something on the internet, believe it or not, that I love. 
it is a mashup of celebration with the song that might have been my very first favorite song as a youth. I was obsessed with Quiet Riot, my first favorite band. Mental Health, uh, the first album I ever bought that worried my parents. (laughs) (laughs) As it would, Metal Health. And it's got the, uh, what did it have on the front, a stray jacket or something? It it had, uh, yeah, it had their their kind of mascot. It was a guy wearing a hockey mask, and he was in a straight jacket. (laughs) Uh, Bang Your Head was my favorite song off of that album. Well, there was a guy on uh, the internet, Bill McClintock, who is awesome at mashing up these, these songs. And I'll put a link to this in the show note. But I want to suggest that we make this the new Oakland A's winning version of Cool in the Game. Time out. Where can I get a copy of that? That's amazing. <laughs> Look in the show notes. I will put it there. You can check out all of his other awesome. mashups because they are absolutely perfect. That's fantastic. I would just, if I could hear that while I'm walking across the bridge to the BART, I would just, I would love it. Ah, <laughs> uh, so you know, listeners, let us know what's your team's winning song, or or what should it be. Like, I never knew the song. I knew the song when I heard it, Dirty Water. But until I worked at Fenway for a while, I never knew that that was the name of that song, which is what the Red Sox play whenever they win. Now I now I know. I, I, I don't really like it, but I know what it is. So, you know, let, uh, let us know what is your team's winning song. And uh, if you've got a better song, let us know what, what that would be. All right, so before we get into uh, our final segment, our Wax Packs Heroes, let's uh, hear from uh, one of our other favorite podcasts. These guys uh, have been doing a great job for even longer than we have, and uh, they are, uh, if you want some intelligent baseball talk, <laughs> this is always <laughs> one of my go-tos, uh, go-to uh, podcasts for some, uh, some very uh, intelligent baseball talk, but they are also funny. They are uh, Mets and A's fans, so they're, you know, half know what's going on. Uh, this is a word from our friends over at Tipping Pitches. I'm Bobby Wagner. I'm Alex Baisley. Together we make Tipping Pitches, a baseball podcast about all the stuff that we care about but weren't hearing enough about. That's everything from why the billionaires who run this sport are ripping you off to working conditions in the minor leagues. Which we cared so much about and are so bad that we put Unionize the Miners on a t-shirt and sold it to help those minor leaguers out. Plus, we can't forget day-to-day coverage of Alex Rodriguez's midlife crisis as it unfolds on Instagram. You can hear all of that, plus interviews with our favorite baseball players and baseball media members wherever you get podcasts. Tipping Pitches, baseball for the many, not the few. All right, so now let us get into our final segment of the show. It is time for the ever-popular Wax Packs Heroes. Wax Pack Hero! Gotta pull the Wax Pack Hero! Tonight. 
So, Mark, you have uh, been on a little bit of streak here. I started off strong. We're six games into the new season, and we are all knotted up at three games apiece. I would like to be able to get back on the uh, the winning train here. Uh, to do that, I've got a couple of packs in 1990 Fleers to open up today. All right. So before we open this, let us just refresh everybody's memory on the rules here, or if you are joining us for the first time. This is what we do. We're going to open these two packs, and we are going to look up each player's baseball reference war for the year of the pack, so 1990, and then we're going to add that together. we got a couple of additional qualifiers that can either add or subtract more points to that. If the player in the picture is wearing anything around their eyeballs, glasses, eye black, if they're blindfolded, that counts. As long as it's over their <laughs> eyes or by their eyes, you're going to get an extra tenth of a point of war. If they are wearing real stirrups where we can see sanitary socks underneath, you're going to get an extra tenth of a point of war. But if you are wearing the two-in-ones, which is a possibility in 1990, we're going to subtract a tenth of a point of war. If you are wearing sweatbands that have your jersey number or a caricature of anybody on it, you're going to get an extra tenth of a point of war. If you won an award that year, Rookie of the Year, MVP, Cy Young, you went to the All-Star Game, you won a gold glove, you get a half a point of war for each of those. If you are now in the Hall of Fame, you are going to get a whole extra point of war of that, and congratulations. Mark, we are each going to pick a team as well. If I draw a card with a member from my team, I get a half a point of war. But if I draw a card with your team, I minus a half a point of war. So who are you going to go with this week? I have thought long and hard about this, and I'm going with the Cincinnati Reds. Cincinnati Reds. All right. Well, I like to go with the natural rival of uh, whoever you pick. So I am going to go ahead, and I'm going to go with the uh, Seattle Mariners. <laughs> wow, yeah, that is a killer rival. We like <laughs> All right. So, uh, Mark, I'm going to have you pick between the uh, pack in my left hand and my right hand. Which one would you like? Well, I've been doing really well with the right pack, so I'm going to go with the uh, left. Left. All right. Well, I'm going to, I've been doing really well with having you go first. So, I'm going to yes. have you go first. So, we're going to open this up. And uh, you've got a Yankee sticker right off the bat. So you'll oh, that's that. a bad sign. All right. Now, these FLIR cards, this is not a good good, good look for this year. I really don't like these cards. But we are just here to uh, to look at them and talk about them, not judge them on their uh, appearance. Uh, so you're going to start with somebody that should be in the Hall of Fame, but is not. Here he is with the okay. Atlanta Hammers, who is who you think of him with. It is none other than Murph, Dale Murphy. Uh, the, the one of the great hitters, great defenders, Mr. Atlanta Brave. So Dale Murphy, uh, let's see, spent 18 years in the big leagues. 1990 was his final year in Atlanta. He got traded to the Phillies during uh, during the season. He ended up uh, with some okay numbers, not a, not the greatest year. He had 24 home runs, 83 RBI, a 245 average, and a 99 OPS plus. He led the league in double plays grounded into this year. And uh, all of this will equate to a war of, let's see, with Atlanta, he accumulated a 1.0 war. With Philadelphia, a 0.0 war. So you'll at least get uh, one point there uh, off of the war. There is nothing else, though, on this card that is going to help you out. But you are in the positive. I'll take a positive. All right. Let's uh, go on to your uh, next card here. It is a pitcher for the Detroit Tigers. It is Jeff Robinson. I remember Jeff Robinson. I, for some reason, he comes up as a giant in my mind. I might be thinking of someone else. Yeah, I think you're thinking of Don Robinson, caveman. That's it. 
So, you know what? There is a Jeff Robinson also that pitched for the Giants, but this is not he. Okay. I think we I think we probably went over this last time we pulled him too. But uh yeah, so this Jeff Robinson played for the Tigers for 4 years. He was in the big leagues for 6. In 1990 was his final year with the Tigers, went 10 and 9 with a 5.96 ERA. That is not good. That he is kept a, his ERA under 6. Come on. Yeah, well, I guess if that's your uh if that's your bar, 67 ERA plus. And that equates to a war of minus 1.0. But uh, good news for you, he's got real stirrups on. So that's only going to be a minus 0.9. And that'll that'll take you back down to uh, to 0.1. I want the Giants, Jeff Robinson. Uh, Well, he probably couldn't have hurt much more. (laughs) All right, so you are at 0.1. Your next uh, guy is a pitcher for here with the Dodgers. It is Tim Belcher. Tim Belcher. Oh, man, I remember him pitching in Tacoma because he was in the A's organization. Uh, let's see. Tim Belcher, he was in Tacoma, and he was traded to the Dodgers yes. during his, his Oh, that's there. right. Uh, let's see. So Tim Belcher, 14 years in the big leagues. In 1990, he went 9-9 nine and nine with a 4.0 even ERA and struck out 102 and had a 92 ERA plus. He came in sixth in the Cy Young voting the year before and third in the Rookie of the Year balloting the year before that. All of this equates to a war of 0.8. He does have real stirrups on as well, so that'll help you out with a 0.9 and get you right back up to that 1.0. Thank you, Belcher. Yeah. Now, no word if he is related to any of the Belchers on uh, Bob's Burger. (laughs) I I don't want to say no, but possibly. Something uh, interesting about Mr. Belcher. He gave up Derek Jeter's first hit. Oh, wow. Really? Yes. Huh. Uh, he was also the player to be named later when the uh, Dodgers traded Rick Honeycutt to the A's. Oh, yeah. My favorite Oakland Athletic. One of my favorite of all time. I'm being very, very facetious there. Uh, Belcher was <laughs> Belcher was uh, involved in that famous brawl with Chan Ho Park where uh, oh, Chan yeah. Ho Park uh, went ahead and did a spinning kick. To, uh, the spinning leg kick. Wow, what just happened kind yeah. of a thing. All right, next you have got, uh, you always seem to pull Bob Melvin. Here he is. <laughs> Here he is with the Orioles. I do. I, I do. I have, a, I have a, this ability to pull Bob Melvin. It's one of my, uh, you know, we all have superhero and, and we all have superpowers. That's one of mine, pulling Bob Melvin's. Yeah, well, uh, Bob Melvin, perennial, you know, number two guy in 1990 with the uh, with the Orioles. He hit 243, OPS plus of 73, but still a, a WAR of 0.6. So uh, you're in the positive yeah. there. I did. Okay. I was I was cursing Bob Melvin uh, over the last week. I'm not going to lie for his bullpen management, but yeah. All right, next we've got an Astro. So uh, you'll be happy with this. It's Rafael Ramirez. Rafael Ramirez. Boy, that's not ringing any bells. I knew it wouldn't because last time we pulled him, you said the same thing. <laughs> just, you've, you've not my got fault. You have a better memory. You have got a Rafael Ramirez-sized hole in your in your brain. I do. <laughs> Thirteen years in the big leagues, eight with Atlanta, five with Houston. Nineteen ninety, one hundred and thirty-two games at shortstop for the Astros. Wow. Hit two sixty-one. Not uh, no power really to speak of. Not a great on base percentage either. A seventy six OPS plus, and that equates to a WAR of minus point four 
And uh, unfortunately, there's nothing on this card that's going to help you out. Well, I'm going to forget all about Rafael Ramirez again. Yeah, no doubt. Next time he comes up, we're going we're gonna to go through this exact same uh, thing. Uh, from the town of San Pedro de Macariz, Dominican Republic. Always, always love to point that out. Yes, I, 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 I think that's kind of on my baseball bucket list, is to go to San Pedro de Macariz. Uh, next, you have got an Oakland Athletic. I think you pulled him last week. It's the chemist, Jose Canseco. One of my uh, all-time favorites, not. Yeah, but I think he's going to help you out here because this is 1990. This is right in the middle right. of, of when he <laughs> I don't was get dinged for roids. <laughs> really good. He was an all-star this year. Ended up with uh, 37 home runs, 101 RBI, 371 on base, and a 543 slugging for a 159 OPS+. plus. So right off the bat, that's 5.4 war. Plus, he was an all-star, so that's half a point. So that's 5.9. But, I mean, that's enough. That's 5.9. 0.9. Thank you, Jose. Yeah, so that'll bring you up to 7.1. And be sure to stop by Jose Canseco's All-Star Car Wash if you're in Las Vegas for all your car washing needs. (laughs) All right, that's enough of Jose Canseco. Next, uh, it is uh, here with the White Sox. Uh, listed as a third baseman, he of the pants dropping, it is Steve Lyons, psycho. Steve Lyons uh, earned the name psycho, I believe, by being psychotic. Uh, he was a free spirit. I actually used to really like him doing, uh, he was, uh, he went on to broadcast. I don't think I've heard, I think he might have done something that uh, got him in trouble, but I have not heard uh, uh, from him recently. I do like looking at his baseball reference page here for positions played. So 1990, I'm just going to list these uh, off for you. First base, designated hitter, second base, third base, center field, pinch hitter, right field, left field, pitcher, and shortstop. So the only position he did not play in 1990 was uh, behind the dish. Never caught a game. He did in 88, though. Yeah, I remember him. Was that the year that... No, that... Uh, he also did an 89. I think 89 okay. is when he did it all in one game. But, uh, yeah, he was everywhere. So in 1990, well, he hit 192. That's not good. His no. on base, which was 245, that's not good. His slugging was 267. That's not good. On base, or his OPS plus was 45. And that equates to a war of minus 0.4. Oops. Again, thank you, Jose Canseco. Yeah, Jose Canseco is keeping you, uh, keeping you afloat here so far. Oh, so uh, that uh, in 1990, when he did play, he did play every position in one game. It was during the Windy City Classic when the Cubs and the White Sox played each other. Oh, nice. Um, I ho- I w- I've got to assume that that was a blowout because otherwise I think you're kind of, you're kind of not taking the game seriously if you're sticking somebody in a different position every inning just to make sure that they did it. Yeah, I mean, maybe they were out of the playoffs or something, yeah. Yeah, let's see. Uh, he was known for playing tic-tac-toe and hangman against opposition players using his spikes uh, to, to play in the infield dirt. Uh, of course, the uh, you know the infamous game when he pulled his pants down and then realized yes. what he did. And uh, <laughs> this was a joke about that, that incident. He said, no one has ever dropped his drawers on the field. Not Wally Moon, not Blue Moon Odom, not even Heine Manoush. All right, next you've got pitcher for the uh, Cincinnati Reds, Tim Burtzis. Oh, man, Burtzis, wasn't he with the A's at some point? I believe he was. Let's yeah. see, yeah, he came up with the A's in 85 and 86 and then uh, spent three years with the Royals from 88 to 90. 90 was his final year, 386 
uh, ERA. Got a World Series ring with them. And uh, let's see, an ERA plus of 104. So that equates to a war of 0.3. And he's got real stirrups on, so you'll get a 0.4 there from Mr. Burtzis. Yeah, I wasn't expecting that from Tim Burtzis. Yeah, he helped you uh, He helped you more than Psycho did, for sure. Yeah. The Nasty Boys refer to Tim Burtzis as the fourth member of the Nasty Boys. Huh. So Burtzis, uh, after leaving the big leagues after the 90 season, went to play for the Occult Swallows in Japan and uh, immediately got into a brawl when he threw a brushback pitch against the uh, against the dragons and that Oops. never that never goes over well and then he went to the italian league oh wow so uh, and then he apparently partnered with kurt gibson in developing real estate yeah so. versus gibson i think i've heard of that <laughs> well it's called <laughs> well the company is actually called rbi construction management Ah, okay, a little baseball reference there. Yeah, all right, so you're up to 7.1. Next, we've got pitcher for the Expos, Andy McGaffigan. McGaffigan. Now, I remember the name, uh, Expo? Yep. 1990, uh, he was all over the place. He uh, spent half the year in San Francisco, half of it in Kansas City, equated to a 99 uh, ERA+, so just about around the league average that year, and that equates to a positive .5, now, he does have real stirrups on there as well, so you're going to get a .6. And if we were doing the mustache thing still, he would have a uh, two-point mustache. That is a good lip broom he's got on. Nice. All right, next you've got a Seattle Mariner. It's outfielder Greg Briley. Yeah, I remember Briley. Uh, his nickname was Peewee. Well, let's see. Greg Briley stood 5'9", so uh, it, uh, it makes sense. Yeah. Spent six years in the big leagues, five of it with Seattle in 1990. Got into a lot of games, 125, but only had 337 at-bats. So I'm guessing a lot of that was late inning or a pinch-hitting duty. 246 average, 29 RBI, 16 stolen bases, and 89 OPS+. plus. That equates to a war of .9. Not bad. I'll take it. All right, Greg Briley. Yeah, that defense probably helped him there. Now, next, we talked about this guy earlier. Like uh, Dale Murphy, I'm not sure he deserves to be in the Hall of Fame as much. A borderline guy, but it's Newsler, Will Clark. Yeah, another guy that's just like from the era we loved baseball. He was, he was one of the main main reasons to watch. Will Clark, the thrill man. He had that name for a reason. He was fun to watch play. I think you hit it right on the head. It's right in our sweet spot of baseball, mid to late '80s, early '90s, when I think we probably lived and breathed baseball more than ever. Yes. And even though he was on the Giants. As an A's fan, I loved Will Clark. And uh, yeah. yeah, 1990, he was an all-star, so you, that's going to help you right there. He had 19 home runs, 95 RBI, a 125 OPS plus. That's going to help you out. That equates to a 3.5 war plus the all-star. Can't see stirrups. I know he had real stirrups, but I can't see him. But that'll give you a 4.0, which will help you out there and bring you up to 12.6. Way to go, Thrill. So we talked about him last week. So uh, we're just going to go on to your next card here with Atlanta. It is outfielder Tommy Gregg. Tommy Gregg. He played for a while, didn't he? Tommy Gregg played for nine years. Uh, A lot of it with Atlanta. Six with Atlanta in 1990. Got into 124 games. A 91 OPS plus. And that equates to a war of 0.4. So you're in the positive there. No, I'm not upset about that. Uh, So that'll bring you up to 13 even. You've got uh, three cards left. Next, with the Bucks, it is pitcher Bob Kipper. Bob Kipper. Man, a lefty, right? uh, Uh, You are Left-handed starter. 
Uh, at least at first, he was a starter, I think. Now, I love uh, this nickname. I don't nickname. know much more beyond that. Yeah, he, he started when he came up. Now, I love this nickname. His nickname, and yeah. it's probably not the nickname you want, you know, as a pitcher. Uh, nickname is Round Tripper. <laughs> yeah, it's a nice name and all, but. Yeah, he never led the league in home runs given up, though. Uh, in 1987, he gave up 25 home runs in 24 games. So <laughs> I'm guessing that's when he earned this nickname right there. Wow, that was over 110 innings. I think Dude, that's a... it, it's incredible when you can actually spot when the nickname is given up. <laughs> wow. Yep. So let's see. In 1990, he was with the Bucks. Uh, not a bad year. Went five and two, a 3.02 ERA, 41 games, all but one out of the bullpen, and that equated to a 120 ERA plus. So that's going to help you out. Uh, that equates to a WAR of 0.6. He's got real stirrups on as well, so that'll be 0.7. Bob Kipper doing his part. So that'll bring you up to 13.7. Next, you've got somebody that we are just going to talk about his uh, on-field play. And I know you love this guy. And this is a baby, baby-faced Omar Vizquel. <laughs> Little O for four. Yeah, so Omar, of course, great with the glove. Uh, let's see, 1990 was his second year in the big leagues. Only appeared in 81 games, 67 OPS plus, And that equates to a war of 1.5, which is all coming from his defense, obviously. And uh, as I said, we're not going to talk about Omar. Next, we go. 11 gold gloves, though. Yep, 11 gold gloves. Great, great defensive player. And that's all I'm going to say about Omar. Next, your final card is with the St. Louis Cardinals. It is a guy, he went on, he had played for quite a while, and he also had a coaching career for quite a while. It's Milt Thompson. Uh, So our buddy, boy, he's got a lot of nicknames. Papa Thompson, Uncle Milty, or Scooter. Uncle Milty, I like it. (laughs) Is that a Milton Burrow reference? It is. Maybe he was stealing jokes or something. <laughs> or maybe he cross-dressed. I don't know. <laughs> it uh, could be. Let's see. 1990, he was a regular uh, outfielder. 135 games. Only hit 218. Only had 30 RBI. And Ouch. a 71 OPS plus. That equates oh, to a war of .7, though. Uh, nothing oh. else on that card is going to get you anything. But uh, that will bring your grand total up to 15.9. That's a gray area right there. That's a, it, that it, may, I may not be able to hold on to that. Well, it's right where you were last week. And, yeah. of course, I almost finished in the negative last week. So let's go we're ahead and see. Roll. Yeah, let's go ahead and see what I come up with here. All right, so I'm starting off with a royal sticker. That's much better than the – oh, I, I forgot. Did, you said the Reds, and I don't think – Oh, did, there, there was there, a Mariner, though, and that's who I picked, wasn't it? Yeah. There was Omar. Yeah. Oh, there was – and Briley. And Briley, yeah, oh, two Mariners, uh-oh. And, and, but you had Tim Burtzis. Wait, we're, we're forgetting this. Uh, Tim Burtzis was with the red, so you're only going to minus a, a half a point because you had okay. one red. But that will bring you down to 15.4. Okay, all right, so I'm going to start off with a Padre. I think I chose them last week, wasn't it? Wasn't that last week they were my team? I think so. Uh, let's go ahead. Uh, Mark Parent to lead off here for me. Catcher. Spent 13 right. years in the big leagues. I mean, he was a it was a perennial backup catcher guy. 1990 with the Padres, uh, it did backup catcher stuff. Not much with the stick, 67 OPS plus, and that equates to a war of 0.1, and uh, nothing on this card's going to help me out with anything else, but at least I'm going the right way. Yeah. All right, so uh, at least a positive way to start out here. Next, I have got, well, I'm just happy to have him. I'm happy to have him. <laughs> One of those guys probably should be in the Hall of Fame. Kind of goes right along with your Will Clark and Dale Murphy. It's Donnie Baseball, Don Mattingly. Yeah. Uh, Yankee captain. 
Don Mattingly. But uh, uh, that's right. Did I, I for some reason I want to say I remember a Yankee jersey with a C on it, but I don't also just don't remember if the Yankees would ever do that to their jerseys. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, Don Mattingly was always an all star. 1990 was the first year he wasn't. Oh, <laughs> uh, he was uh, hurt. This is when his back started to act up. Only appeared in 102 games, five home runs, 42 RBI, a 256 average, and an 81 OPS plus. That equates to a minus 0.3. Uh, he does have real stirrups on here, though. So, or, or no, actually, the thing it those are those are not real stirrups. <laughs> so that's going to be a minus 0.4, and I am once again in the negative. You know, one thing I do like to point out about Mattingly is his prowess at hitting doubles. He had in 84, he hit 44 doubles, 85, he had 48, and in 86, he hit 53, leading the league each year. I mean, the guy could just hit. I mean, he was a My great, gosh. great hitter. Fun to watch. Uh, of course, we've talked about his, uh, his uh, Grand Slam streak in 1987 where he, at that point, set a major league record with six Grand Slams in the year, the only Grand Slams that he ever hit in his career. Yeah, so weird. Yeah, I didn't know this. Uh, when he hurt his back, he did it when he was uh, screwing around in the clubhouse with pitcher Bob Shirley. Hmm. All right, so I'm at minus point three. Next, I've got Houston Astro pitcher Juan Augusto. Augusto, uh, journeyman reliever, you know, but he was around for a long time. 13 years in the big leagues, he left-handed you know, pitcher, that's what they do. Mm -hmm. Led the league in 1990 in games with 82. What? So he, he appeared in more Jeez. than half of the games <laughs> in that year. A 4.29 ERA, and uh, that equates to an 87 ERA plus. Let's see if all those innings uh, helps you out at all, or helps me out at all. Point one, but he's got real <laughs> stirrups, so point two. Was it worth it, though, with all that wear and tear in the arms? I don't know. Oof, that's a lot of games, man. Wally doesn't like it. He agrees, yeah. <laughs> uh, th uh, threw a screwball. There you oh, go. Oh, really? So uh, that probably didn't help either, <laughs> appearing in that many games and throwing a screwball. <laughs> yeah. All right, next we've got a guy that was really good. He played forever. Here he is with the Angels, Claudel Washington. Oh, yeah, Claudel. Just a darn good baseball player. Passed away just a couple of years ago. Uh, let's see, passed away in 2020. 17 years in the big leagues. Most of it, though, with Atlanta. Six in Atlanta, four in New York. I just always think of him as a Yankee or an A, probably because of mm -hmm. the teams I really paid attention to the most. 90 was his final year. He split it between California and then went back to the Yankees to end it. Not a good year. 18 OPS plus. Ooh. For a minus .9 war. Ouch. So am I just going to have to root for it to try and finish in a, in a negative spot here again? Because it's... Uh... <laughs> well, you might pull out three or four Hall of Famers in a row. You never know. So remember the scene in Ferris Bueller's Day Off where they go to the Cubs game? Yeah. So, and they catch a foul ball. That is, yeah. uh, they show game footage of Claudel Washington with Atlanta fouling that ball off at Wrigley. And that is supposedly uh, the ball that they catch. Off the bat of Claudel Washington. There you go. Oh. Claudel with a little pop culture history. Yeah, that's the stuff we love. All right. My uh, next card here is pitcher for the Toronto Blue Jays, Dwayne Ward. Dwayne, do you think Dwayne Montgomery Ward? Does that work? <laughs> that might work. It might work. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Dwayne Ward, nine years in the big leagues. He spent nine years in Toronto. He came up with Atlanta, though, but was traded in his first year. 1990. 
two and eight out of the bullpen. Not a great mark. A 3.45 ERA, though. A 119 ERA plus, and that equals a war of 1.9, plus he's got real stirrups. Nice. He, he did notch 11 saves that year. Yeah, so he had just, what, 1990? I guess Toronto wasn't that good that year. Did the A's beat the Red Sox in the ALCS that year? He must have. 86, yeah, they, well, you know, the Blue Jays finished second with an 86 and 76 record. So, hmm. kind of weird to have those kind of numbers. All right, next I have got a Major League Prospects card with two players on it. Ooh. One of whom I've never heard of in Colin Charland. And then Rudy Cienes, who I have, I mean, he played forever. He played for the A's. <laughs> he played, he played for like Atlanta. 20 years. He may still be active down in Mexico. He might. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, his nickname was Action Traction. Nice. I've never heard that. Uh, 17 years in the big leagues. Okay. Uh, let's there see. you go. 1990, uh, he played in, in Cleveland, went 2-1 and one in 24 games, and uh, that equates to a war of minus 0.3, of course. Wow. Uh, let's look up, because uh, I got two guys on this card, so let's, uh, let's look up this next guy. Let's see here. Are you sure you want to? Colin, I'm thinking that he probably didn't play. Probably not. Yeah, never appeared in the big leagues. Okay, next we've got pinch hitter supreme here with the Dodgers, Lenny Harris. Oh, man, I haven't thought about Lenny Harris in a while, but you're right. He was the pinch hitter. Let's see. 1990, he was with the Dodgers the whole year. Hit 304 in 137 games. Wow. Played just about everywhere. He was one of those super utility guys. Two home runs, 29 RBI, a 102 OPS plus, and that equates to a 3.1 war. Wow. That brings me up to 3.5. All right, next, uh, I've got a pitcher for the Rangers who I have never heard of. Drew Hall. Drew Hall. Drew Hall. (laughs) Uh, Scott Boris thought enough of him to represent him. Well, he's probably a millionaire then. Uh, Five years in the big leagues. 1990 was his final year with Montreal. Four and seven with a 5.09 ERA and a (laughs) 72 ERA plus. And that is a war of minus 0.8. What kind of pack of cards is this? What is with I I am just getting the worst cards recently. <laughs> this is terrible. You could be setting a record here. Yeah. Well, uh, here we go. At least we've heard of this guy. <laughs> here he is with the expos, Mark Langston. I believe still doing um, TV commentary for the Angels. Yeah, I, I think he was the one that had the 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 heart attack in Houston. Oh, that's right. Forgot about that. Good pitcher, solid pitcher. Pitched for a good while. Of course, he was uh, traded from the the Mariners for Randy Johnson. Yep. Kind of a good deal there for Seattle. (laughs) Yeah, it was the right time. (laughs) Let's see, 1990 with the Angels, he he went 10 and 17 with a 4.4 ERA. Didn't have his usual, I mean, he really, uh, the first three of his four, three of his first four years in the big leagues, he led the league in strikeouts, but that was it. 195 yeah. in 1990 and 223 innings, and all of that equates to a war of 1.5. Hey, it's a positive, Jeff. It is, and that will set me at, at 4.2. So I'm still in the positive, but I'm just nowhere close here to... Uh, I think I mentioned this before, last time we pulled him. Uh, appeared as himself in an episode of Sabrina the Teenage Witch, where he plays yeah, catch with Harvey, who was the talking... I remember cat. something about that, yeah. 
All right, next is a pitcher for the Kansas City Royals, Jeff Montgomery. Oh, who, sure. Who I know has gone on to do TV for the I think with for the Royals. 1990, let's see, 6 and 5 with a 2.39 ERA in 73 games. I like that. An ERA plus of 162 and that equates to a war of 1.9. So nice. Headed in the right direction. It might be too little too late at this point. Montgomery, uh, 304 career saves. Uh, that's uh, that's a good number. Yeah. 304 more than I have. Yes, me too. Apparently, he released an instructional video called The Fundamentals of Pitching with Jeff Montgomery. But hmm. he could not get Fred McGriff to endorse it. So it uh, kind of <laughs> went into obscurity. Bummer for him. Yeah. Okay, next I've got an angel, Jack Howell. Wow, I haven't thought about Jack Howell in quite a while. Jack Howell at the moon? That's right. Let's see. In 1990 with the Angels, not a great year. Uh, OPS plus of 98. Didn't do much with the bat. I'm hoping that his defense might help me out here. And it did a little bit. A war of 1.0. He does have real stirrups on as well. So that'll be a 1.1. There you go. He was just a solid, uh, solid guy. Also played uh, for the Yakult Swallows for three years, as well as Yamayuri. So oh, he wow. spent a good amount of time in Japan. Came back, was the hitting coach for the D-backs for a little bit, and uh, has kind of kicked around the minors as a coach. So I'm up to 7.2, and uh, next I get Minnesota Twin outfielder Carmen Castilla. Castillo, excuse me. Carmen Steel. All right, so Carmen played 10 years in the big leagues, seven with Cleveland, and then finished up with three in Minnesota. 1990, he only appeared in 64 games. Not a great season. Played the outfield, 219 average, a 34 OPS plus. Not expecting a whole lot here. Minus two war. Uh, he does have eye black and uh, two and ones, though. So that's a wash, and it'll just be a minus two. Thanks a lot, Carmen. Boy. So I've only got three cards left here. Next, we have got uh, catcher for the Cubs. Went on to be a base-stealing manager for both the Pirates and the Mariners. It's Lloyd McClendon. I like Lloyd McClendon. I always have. Didn't he, did he manage the Tigers, too? Here it is. Yeah, he did manage the Tigers. Uh, for one year. <laughs> it looks like he can't, well, he went two and six. So I'm guessing somebody was fired. And he just finished out the year. Uh, Lloyd McClendon, though, in the big leagues, eight years, five of it with Pittsburgh, in 1990, he split time between the Cubs and the Bucks, and ended up with a 35 OPS plus. So I'm expecting big things here from Lloyd. Uh, a minus 0.2 WAR. Yeah, not I'm sorry, quite minus 1.2. Oh, wow. Yeah, I don't want to shortchange myself there. So uh, next, I've got a Hall of Famer. Hey, there you go. It is pitcher for the Detroit Tigers, Jack Morris. Hey. That means that the one point I automatically get for being in the Hall of Fame might be the only point I get off of him. <laughs> it depends, yes. Let's see, 1990. He was 35 years old, still had four full years left to the big leagues. Uh, went 15 and 18, led the league in games started and complete games with 11. Oh, wow. 4.51 ERA, also led the league in earned runs given up and had an 89 ERA+. plus. And that equates to a war of 0.7. He's got real stirrups and he's a Hall of Fame. So that'll get me 1.8. I mean, it's a lot better than some of your other players. Yeah, I'm just like, I'm, I'm hovering around 500. That, that's what it is. I'm, I'm just a 500 ball club. All right. My last card is pitcher for the Padres at this point. It is Mark Mudcat Grant. Mark? You say Mudcat? I yeah. don't know that name. That's awesome. 
Yeah, his nickname. Well, his, it says his nickname's Mud, but he does the uh, he does the color on the Padres broadcasts along with Don Orsello, and they are beyond White Sox broadcast team. They are my favorite <laughs> broadcast team. I love Don Orsello. Mark Grant is really great as well. 1990, uh, split time between the Padres and Atlanta. Uh, not good either way. <laughs> I'm just going to go and put it out there. Uh, that elite equates to a war of minus 0.3. Ouch. So, uh, yeah, that's just, it's just way, the way the way it goes for me recently. He got a little roughed up there. Yeah. Grant was a first round pick by the giants in 1981. Well, his whole, uh, Wikipedia page is basically about his uh, broadcasting career and not his playing career. So that kind of tells you, I don't think we have broadcast points. No. He does, uh, he's a frequent contri- contributor on a sports talk show hosted by Dave, Shelley, and Chainsaw. <laughs> and guess what that, uh, guess what that uh, radio station is? I don't know. It is none other than KGB FM 101.5. <laughs> and we have come full circle, we folks, on this We have absolutely come podcast. full circle. That's the way you wrap up a, a podcast right there. Uh, 5.5 for me is nowhere near. You've pulled off another win. You jump ahead four games to three, and that's going to wrap up this episode of Wax Packs Heroes. That's also going to do it for uh, this week's episode. If you want to catch us, we're on all of the usual social medias at two strike noise that is at two strike noise on twitter instagram youtube twitch all those kind of things you can find us as well it's all in the show notes we also have an email address mark's gonna hit us up with yeah two strike noise at gmail.com send us an email uh, we still do that it's uh you know we're a bit of a throwback podcast yep we're, we're a history podcast so we do accept gmail emails But uh, all right, so that's going to do it. Thank you for joining us on uh, this week's show. We look forward to next week's show. We're already already thinking about it. So, uh, Mark, I will see you next week on the next episode of Two Strike Noise. Thank you. God bless you. Have a great day.